I'm your host, Sabrina Salvati. My special guest tonight is Kim Iverson. She's the host of The Kim Iverson Show and a former contributor for The Hills Rising. Kim, welcome back. Good to see you. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. So I have to tell you, first and foremost, congratulations on your wedding. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I got married, although we had like a little bit of a snafu because we just found out yesterday that um, we just found out yesterday that our marriage license was rejected. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. It was rejected by the court because there was a typo. And so oh, they sent it. Yeah, they sent it back to us and they said, this is, you know, we're not going to accept this and you guys have to redo it not the wedding luckily but we have to refill out the the marriage the marriage license and submit it and pay them money and yeah so there's I, so I, many things you have to do to go along with that that you don't realize until you get married well and it was just crazy because it was just a small typo it was in the the word you know los angeles in the my sister when she filled it out as the witness she kind of misspelt los An the angeles part of los angeles and it's like, obviously they know what it means. I mean, she's not talking about some other place, but, Thanks. and you know, the address of where we were married and everything was on there. And I, you know, but they, for whatever reason, they're extremely anal retentive about it. So they said, no, nope, that's a little typo there. It's like missing an E so we can't go forward with this. And so we're, um, we're having to yeah, redo the license, but hopefully not the wedding or the marriage itself. <laughs> No. Oh my God. Now, did you, I have a question. Did you enjoy wedding planning? Cause I actually liked it and my friends did not like wedding planning at all. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it much. <laughs> um, I liked a bit. I mean, there were aspects of it that were fun, but for the most part, no, I didn't. I mean, I enjoyed the wedding. It turned out beautiful. I was really happy with how it turned out. We of course had snafus on the wedding day who doesn't, but all in all, you know, it turned out to be a really wonderful wedding, but the planning process was really stressful getting to it. And, you know, you're just kind of trying to appease a lot of different people. It's not just what the bride wants or what the groom wants. And even just, even if it were just what the two of us want, we have to still negotiate with each other on what we want. And that was even a battle, you know, me saying to him, well, I want pink bridesmaids dresses. And in his mind, he hears pink and he's like, ah, pink. Like he's thinking cotton candy, pink, bubble gum, pink. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking this like extremely like light nude blush type pink. Right. In my mind, but I called it pink and he freaked out. And so I thought, oh, I got to change the color of my dresses because he doesn't want pink at all. He said, no pink. So I'm trying to accommodate him. And a month went by and I was going through all these different colors of dresses for the bridesmaids and I could never, you know, and I, I just finally went back to him and I said, I just really think that the only thing that makes all of this go together with everything I've already ordered is this pink. And then he sees the swatch of the pink and he goes, oh, that's nice. I like that. I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> a, I know, I know. a month of this, I should have just shown you the swatch to begin with. Yeah. Yes. It's, are you thinking about changing your, your last name or are you going to keep it the same? publicly my last name is the same but okay. no, i have i've always i actually have always had a different last name privately gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah so uh that way i'm not findable you know but yeah i i, I i'm taking his last name awesome awesome but, you, so, but nobody else will know it'll be the same kim iverson gotcha no been. I don't, I don't blame you, actually. <laughs> I don't blame you. So the first question I have for you, um, I'm not sure if, if you were aware of this, but uh, Gavin Newsom, I, I know you're in California, 
he actually met with Jill Biden recently when Joe Biden was in Saudi Arabia. And I was like, what is this meeting all about? Why is he meeting with her when Joe's out of town? And then I, I saw later after that, that both Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris were looking at donors together. So I'm predicting that they're trying to look at Gavin Newsom as possibly someone that will primary Joe Biden uh, because the majority of people don't want Joe Biden to run in 2024. And I'm curious to hear, what do you think about that? Like, how do you feel about Gavin Newsom? And do you think that's something that could actually work? Uh, okay, so let me get this straight. So you're saying that Gavin Newsom was was finding donors together with Kamala Harris? Him and Kamala Harris together were looking at donors. So that wouldn't be primarying Joe, right? That would be the Democratic Party finding a replacement for Joe. So that, Very right. So Joe would have to step, step aside willingly mm -hmm. in that situation and hand the baton to Gavin Newsom. So that that's what that sounds like to me. First of all, that's not primary. I, I wouldn't imagine Kamala wouldn't go along with that. The Democratic Party wouldn't go along with it. They, I don't think they would primary him. But I've had no doubt that they would make him step aside. And it's interesting because I, I think their plan originally always was to have Kamala Harris take over. That's why they chose her as vice president. I, I always have predicted from the very beginning that the whole plan was to get Joe to move aside and Kamala Harris would be president. But unfortunately for the Democratic Party, no one likes Kamala. So <laughs> they can't do that, right? I mean, they got a problem on their hands. They can't actually move, slide her into the Oval Office when she's just not accepted by, by the Democratic base. So they would need to find someone else. The only other person that I could think of that they would want to try to get would be Pete Buttigieg. But again, you've got a problem with Pete because he hasn't really governed anything. You know, he hasn't held a Senate seat or anything that usually is a precursor before you become president of the United States. So that's right. But they would want somebody, anybody who's also part of that establishment machine, who's going to go along with the same foreign policy advisors that they've got from West exec advisors. That would be the Tony Blinkens of the world and the Michelle Flournoy's and the, you know, all, all the people that make the foreign policy happen that we've got right now, the disastrous foreign policy. They right. would want somebody that goes in, in line with that. And that's actually Hillary Clinton's foreign policy team. So... Uh, and, and also that was under Obama as well. So it's the whole Democratic establishment machine. So it makes sense to me that they would say, yeah, Gavin Newsom, because he's definitely part of the establishment, definitely part of the Democratic establishment political machine. So it makes sense that they would try to insert him in. And it also makes sense that they would try to get the governor of California, assuming that, you know, well, he'll get all the votes, you know, he'll get a lot of popular votes from California. And, uh, and maybe Gavin Newsom is the only other one that could take on Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump is maybe what they're thinking, because they are probably assuming in the calculus, they're thinking that they've got to have like a straight white male is yeah. probably why they're thinking, you know, to take on uh, to take on DeSantis and to take on Trump to get those voters back from the Republican Party, those moderate voters, I suppose. I, but the, it's a it's a stupid calculation. The reality is people aren't voting based on that. They're voting based on actual policies and what the parties are actually standing for. That's why they're rejecting Democrats. They're not rejecting Democrats because they're presenting them with, you know, a, a, a black Asian woman or a gay man. That's not why voters are saying we're done with you. And it, so it's just a miscalculation on their part to be like, well, Gavin Newsom's the answer. Gavin Newsom was, you know, he nearly, I mean, he was recalled here yep. in California. And they say, oh no, he, his recall went really well. 
uh, you know, everybody voted for him back in office. So that's just not, I mean, the fact that he even got to the point of recall shows that the voters in California are not thrilled with Gavin Newsom. And the only reason why he really won that recall was because the Republican Party put up, uh, you know, I mean, just not a serious candidate for that a lot of people would accept. Um, you know, no offense to him. I, you know, I'm sure he was a serious candidate. He meant it. He was being serious. But I'm just saying a lot of people didn't take him seriously. Right. They just didn't. They weren't going to go for it. So um, I don't, you know, <laughs> I, they're, look, they're dead in the water. I don't think I don't think Democrats are going to win unless something barring something really crazy happening between now and 2024. I just don't see them winning. And I don't, I, I could, I could understand that where they think maybe their odds are higher with Gavin Newsom, but I don't, cause he's familiar for people. He's familiar with the typical democratic voter. I suppose he's more of the same, but is that really what they want? More of the same? I don't exactly. know. What do you think about it? I mean, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? I think it's awful. I think it doesn't matter who they put up at this point because it's just been such a failure. Um, a lot of people are leaving the Democratic Party. I've seen the numbers. I'm done. Like, I'm personally done with the two party system. I'm just like, you know, after Bernie Sanders, you know, let down twice. And then I said, well, we still have hope in the squad. And then the squad gets in there and they just go along with corporate Democrats. They're out there voting to give billions of dollars to Ukraine. They're out there voting for NATO. And so I'm just like, no, they're one of them now. They're, we can't yeah. even count on them to try to help and do anything. And so I think the two-party system is just a huge problem. And I don't see anything getting done with people running into those two parties because they're just both corporate. Yeah, I don't think there's any hope right now for the Democratic Party to kind of come back from from a lot of the things that have been happening. I think America's pretty fed up with them in particular. Um, and I think there's kind of a re resurgence going on in the Republican Party that's interesting to watch. But I, I do see them kind of going down this the wrong path. And I think DeSantis, you know, he should be really careful. I think him really latching on to this whole like trans issue and uh, groomer issue I understand parents are really worried if you all, you know, there's always kind of this, if you play on a parent's fears, then you could, you could actually get pretty far with that in a lot of ways. I mean, they played on parents' fears during the pandemic. They play on parents' fears when it comes to the groomer schools, they play on parents' fears when it like, that's, I mean, that's how um, Youngkin got elected in Virginia. When you play on yep. parents' fears and you say this, when parents get pissed, things happen, Right. So I understand Ron DeSantis kind of playing that card and be like, well, hey, parents, your kids aren't safe when they go to school because they're being indoctrinated with all of this like liberal craziness. Um, I just wish he would stay away from that, though, because I don't think it's as pervasive of a problem as they make it sound. I think that a parent has every right to be very concerned about what their kid is being taught in schools. I just don't know if it needs to become a political platform. I think that's something that parents take up with the PTAs and with their school boards. Um, and then, you know, so Ron DeSantis kind of adopting that is to me very similar to Democrats adopting a lot of the, what I would, you know, say woke, woke type sort of rhetoric of we've got to fight for the rights of everybody, you know, and they start listing all this category, these categories of people and they kind of participate in this. Well, you're not as oppressed as this group, which is not as oppressed as this group. And we're trying to help all these oppressed people. And in reality, they help no one when they do that, right? They don't, they don't <laughs> then implement any policies that actually help anyone. They just say, it just makes you feel good. Okay, we recognize that you've had a hard life. I mean, 
Um, so I see Republicans now kind of doing that same thing. And I think, oh, gosh, now all hope really is lost. I was hoping that they would at least kind of pick up the populist baton and try to run with it because there's a lot of the same ideas, even though they might have a slightly different solution. There's a lot of that same sentiment and a lot of the same desires coming from the populist right as the populist left. But I mm -hmm. feel like they're kind of losing it a little bit. I agree. Um, now, I know like you were a part of the the Bernie Sanders movement and yeah. your shows was one of the ones that I watched and you were given a lot of information about Bernie Sanders and the progressive movement. How do you feel about the progressive movement today? When you look back on 2020, 2018 to 2020, how do you feel about it today? I, I don't think there is one anymore. Yeah. I think or or if there is, I don't recognize it. It's something different. It's morphed. Right. So I do feel like whatever the movement was that I was a part of that I thought that I was going for, it's, it's gone, it's changed, it's shifted, or it just, my dad puts it a really good way. And he's a, he's a real big progressive. And, um, and he always, he was saying to me the other day, you know, it is like, it is really like a, a movement that got it, you know, it's a movement that got its head cut off. And with Bernie Sanders, you know, the democratic establishment just, just cut off his head. And then there, so there's no leader. So it's just kind of like flailing around and trying to figure out which direction it's going in. And when you're in that situation, the movement just kind of eventually turns into its own different animal, its own monster. It's going in this other direct, multiple different directions. It doesn't have any leadership. It doesn't know what it's doing. And that's what happens when you cut off the head of, of a movement. And they, the Democratic Party figured out how to successfully do it. And they probably calculated that out. They probably figured... If we could just bury Bernie Sanders, then yep. the rest won't know where to go or what to do. And they'll go in all of these weird directions. And they probably did plant. I mean, I don't put it past them. Of course, they have operatives. They're paid millions of dollars to do this. They probably did plant plenty of ideas into the heads of people that they found were rising leaders in the Democratic Party. And they were like, just focus on racism. Just focus on bigotry. Just focus on sexism. And then that way they won't focus on the real things that are actually affecting Americans. Like, big money interests and foreign policy disasters, right? Just focus on, uh, just make sure people believe that this is the existential crisis of the day and not what's actually the existential crisis. Right. I mean, I know that, I don't know, like when I look at the progressive movement, I think one of the things that's been really disappointing, especially for those of us that like supported, donated money to those politicians or canvassed for them, is that it's, it seemed like to me the moment that they got in, they didn't want to talk to independent media anymore. Like right. forget it. Like trying to get AOC to come talk to independent media, forget it. Like they just, I feel like they completely just, just sold out and just forgot like who gave them that base to begin with. And I always remind people, although I know some people don't like Jimmy Dore, but Jimmy Dore was the first person that gave AOC a platform yep. and she won't go on there either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, they just got swallowed up. I mean, once they got in there, they got swallowed up by the establishment. They were, you know, I, I don't, part of me really would like to at some point like run for office just to hope maybe win and then go and find out like, what the heck happens? <laughs> like how, how do you guys get so corrupted so quickly? Yeah. You know, and it's like, that would be my only job. I, I'm like, I'm not really here to, I mean, I'll, I'll mix some, you know, I'll do some good votes and stuff, but I know I'm only here for a short time because you people are going to get rid of me real quick. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But I'd like to know how that happens so I can at least go talk about it. You know, how do you guys go about doing that? Uh, but yeah, they just get sucked up really quick by the machine. 
I think a lot of it is just being told you're not going to have any power. Your vote's going to be meaningless. Look what we did to Tulsi Gabbard. You know, they probably like dangle people in front of them and are like, do you want to be like this? Mm -hmm. How about like this person? Do you want to be, you know, you can either continue to be in the spotlight and make some change or we oust you, you become nobody and you make no change. And probably a person like AOC makes a calculation and thinks, I'd rather make some change than no change, not to give her any excuses. But I think maybe that's the calculation they make. And, um, and so they go along with the machine and then they figure the thing that they can make change on is just, but then it's like, well, what change do they make? Where, where is that change? We would like to see what do they think is actually the benefit, the beneficial reason why they're selling out in every other way. I'd like to know what she's hanging her hat on to say, well, it's worth it because I'm doing this X, Y, Z thing. I don't know what that is. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I interviewed Rokana recently and I asked him a lot of questions. And one of the ones that I asked him was about uh, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. And I said, why are they not being held accountable? Why do they still have committee assignments? And they're, they're voting against things that we need to get passed. Now, I would say some of these bills are, are crumbs. They're not really, I guess, like, they're not really bills that have a lot of meat in them that would actually really change people's lives. But they're just, they're always the reason. If it's not them, I told Rokana as the Senate parliamentarian who seemed to come out of nowhere that I'd never heard of this person before. <laughs> it just, it's always an excuse. Yeah. And I told him, I said, you know, even if it's not Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, when it came to $15 minimum wage, we saw there were eight Democrats who voted against it. And of course, he gave me a very politician answer and didn't really kind of answer the question. And I'm just like, no, but why are they not being held accountable? So his excuse was that, well, you know, Joe Manchin's from a red state. Uh, Kirsten Sinema, I think, is going to have a primary challenge. But it's just, it seems like to me the president is Joe Manchin and the vice president is actually Kirsten Sinema. That's what it seems like to me. But it just, even with him talking to him, I could tell, it just seemed like he was holding back some. Yeah. Could well, feel and, like the frustration. Right. I mean, I, I actually would agree more with like Joe Manchin's reasons for voting the way he does than the whole excuse that Ro Khanna gave for Kirsten Sinema. And the reason is, your job as a senator or as a congressperson is to be a representative of the people that you are that are your constituents so you should vote not the way you want but the way your constituents want so i i think that's fair and that's i think that's their job um in fact so i i actually think a politician should absolutely set aside their own personal what they think should or should not happen and they should vote the way their constituents wants want however i also think their job is to use their bully pulpit you know and to go mm -hmm. and to say to their constituents this is why these things are good they should advocate for why they think they should be voting a certain way and then you know try to convince their base and if their base goes along with it great and if their base doesn't then i do believe they should still represent their base kirsten cinema though for it to be like well they're going to get primary and they're going to lose their job so what you know so what you're going to lose your job like oh that's what you're afraid of you know but i get so that is not to me an excuse now if she says well these this is the way my constituents want me to vote that's one thing right if she says well this is this is how they want me to vote. So I'm going to vote the way that they want. But I just don't think when it comes to Kirsten Cinema or Joe Manchin, I don't think either of them are actually sampling their bases to find out what they really think right. about any of these things. So that's where it's so then I'm like calling BS on the whole thing. You know, that's um, right. 
but certainly you shouldn't be worried about like, well, I might get primaried. Well, okay, then let the voters speak. It's called, that's what a democracy is that you guys keep screaming about saying is it constantly under threat. Well, it's under threat when you don't even allow the process to happen. Also, you know, that's also making it under threat. So the whole, well, I might get primaried, so I have to play it safe is, um, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. Let the voters speak. And if they speak and they oust you, then I guess now you know. But exactly, exactly. Um, I'm curious to hear, what do you think about, so Andrew Yang has announced that he has a new party, the Forward Party. Right. Um, I've seen him on a couple of interviews. Um, I did see him uh, very quickly, actually, before we went live, someone told me, on call-in that I needed to watch the segment that he did today on Rising. And I, I have to say, I was, uh, I'm was i a little concerned in reference to Forward Party because Jesse Ventura was on here recently and he said he's on board with Forward Party. But I told him, I said, I didn't see anything about Medicare for All, so that's like a big one for me. But then I heard Andrew Yang earlier today, he was on Rising, and now he's saying like, yes, he still believes in UBI, but he's not going to push for it because he doesn't think that it has a chance. So right. the question I think that I've had is what exactly are the policies with four party? I'm 100% for third parties. I'm just not sure about this one per se. Right. Okay. I haven't seen the interview today. I did watch Bree's Radar from yesterday where she kind of did a breakdown, uh, you know, her critiques and hers, her critique was similar to yours. She was saying that, you know, the, the policy, there's no policies with the forward party that people are really wanting like Medicare for all. And so without those policies, you don't really have a third party. And in that segment, um, Robbie actually, if you listen all the way to the end, when Robbie begins, he actually makes the case for what the forward party actually is, even though Robbie didn't know he was doing that. But he just said, what's the point of a third party if you can't even get ballot access? Any, you know, what's the point of even making these policies? You can create the most perfect third party you want, but if you don't have ballot access, if you can't get past all of the various different hurdles fundraising hurdles, signature hurdles, you know, to get that access, to get what you need, um, then what does it matter, right? You have to first figure out a way to break the system to get your third party, your dream third party. In order for even it to get on the ticket, you have to break through the system that's been set up, a rigged system set up by the duopoly to keep the duopoly in place. Um, our leaders in the various different levels of our government, from the municipalities all the way up to the federal government, they've set up hurdles in order to prevent any other party from coming forward and challenging their power. They like it between just the two of them. So there's no incentive for them to make any change and to allow, allow more competition. No one wants more competition. If you can rig it and have fewer, fewer people against you, then it's a better system, right, for, for you. So... Mm -hmm. The whole point of the forward party, and this is where I think the party needs to work on messaging. In fact, I actually don't think it should even be called a party. I actually think it should be called a caucus. It would help people understand it better. But okay. in, um, to be in transparency, I'm actually also on the leadership board of the forward party. I think Jesse Ventura might be, I'm not 100% certain, but part of my job or, or what I'm not paid or anything, I'm I'm just part of it. I give, I give ideas. That's all I do. I just show up to some meetings and they ask, you know, my opinion on things. I don't get paid or anything like that. But one of the, one of my suggestions has been that the messaging is not clear, that people right. are looking at this as a party and they're expecting to see policies in a party because that's what you expect when you're joining a party. You want to know what do you stand for? 
And the Ford Party doesn't really stand for any of that. The Ford Party Party's only real objective is to break the system to allow in third parties. So you don't actually have to abandon whatever party you like, whatever your preferred party is, to be a part of the Ford Party. That's why I feel like it should be really called a caucus. Okay. But there's a reason why it's called a party. Um, and so it, it is actually a party, but it really is operating more like a caucus. So the, the goal is to get people on both sides. So you could get Republicans, you could get Democrats, you're, and they're endorsed by the forward party and they are, and they're funded by the forward party. This is the most important part. They're funded. Their political campaigns are funded by the forward party, not by Democrats or Republicans. And they run on those tickets. They then get into office. And when they're there, they, they implement the forward party agenda, which is to break the system to allow for things like ranked choice voting and to allow things like third parties coming in, any third party. So the forward party is doing the dirty work to allow for your favorite third party to then be able to emerge. Right now, you don't have a chance. So the forward party is saying, break the duopoly uh, and let's make it happen to where we can get in these third parties. And then you can select whichever third party you want because your third party actually has a shot or you won't feel like you're throwing, you know, you won't be accused of throwing your vote away if there's ranked choice voting, right? You would say, well, I prefer this candidate and then this candidate and you kind of rank them however you want. So that is the goal of the forward party. Why it's not a caucus and why it's an actual party is because in certain municipalities and states, the idea is to actually get a forward party candidate on the ballot where there can be ballot access for the forward party. So okay. they're, they're going about the breaking of the duopoly in a few different, they're going, they're like attacking it. You know, it's like Jurassic Park, if you just recently watched that movie, right? So like, it's like the, you know, the, the dinosaur that, that tests the fence and looks for the cracks in all the different spots, right? And goes around like, where's mm -hmm. the cracks? So the, re the reason why the Ford Party is using a variety of different tactics, like running candidates on certain, running, running their own candidates, endorsing candidates that are running in different parties, it's just to find the weak spot in each of those different elections. Some areas of the country, you'll have to run as a Democrat. You won't have a chance if you don't. Some areas of the country, you have to run as a Republican. Some areas of the country or some cities or municipalities, it's better if you're an outsider, like on a ticket, like Ford Party. So any way we could get people elected to go in there and then say, time for change. We're breaking this party up and we're going to let other people in. And that's the whole, right, that's the whole goal. So that's why there are no policies in that party because it's uh -huh. not meant for that. You have explained this a lot better than Andrew has. I got to tell you, like you really, <laughs> you really broke this down. I, I wish he would explain it in that way because I have seen him do a couple interviews and they keep asking the same questions, like what are the policies, and he doesn't really answer the question. And then the the other thing too is that he keeps mentioning that it's centrist. And I think for people, those of us who are further left, people who are like progressives or Marxists, etc., when we hear that word centrist, like right. for me, you think Bill Clinton. Right. It's, it feels like a dirty word, right? Because, right. And it has been a dirty word for a long time. It's like, oh, great. So, but also one thing the Ford Party is aiming to do. So once the candidates get in there, obviously they're not going to only be voting on like breaking up the system so that third parties can come in. There's a lot of votes that happen, right? So if you're sitting in that chair and you've been elected and you're, you know, now you're, you're uh, endorsed by the, the Ford Party, 
when you're there, you're going to have to actually do some politics, right? You're going to have to actually vote and do your job. And the, the, at that point, then kind of the ethos of the party is to work together. So it is not clear. There isn't really a policy. It's like, you just try to use common sense and make the best decisions based on, you know, whatever the issue is at that point and who you're dealing with in whichever office you're sitting in. So if you're in the state of Idaho, for example, the compromise is going to be very different than if you're sitting in California. So, you know, on things like gun control, right? So if the gun control issue comes up and you're a you're a forward party caucus person sitting in, you know, uh, the, the house of reps or in the legislature of Idaho versus the legislature of California, needing to make some compromises, needing to work together means something a bit different in each scenario. So also kind of the ethos is that there's just a bit, it's, it's a bit too much like all or nothing. Like, so if you're, um, part of the, you know, this is why people get mad at Joe Manchin. Cause he's like, well, I'm from a red state. And then people don't really understand that, especially those of us living in California or not mm -hmm. from a red state, you know, it's like something, it's like, well, just do this. Like, this is what Democrats want. And it's like, well, not really Democrats in a red state are different than Democrats coming from a blue state. Democrats in a red state are like Republicans in a blue state, right? So you've got a bunch of different mentalities. And the idea then is to get in there and just work together to drop the animosity, drop the, this is my demand because I'm a Democrat and I demand that, you know, this is what our platform is. And so we're not deviating from that. It's like, just get in there and try to be as reasonable as possible and try to just get something done. So that part, I, I think, does kind of make people say, yeah, but what is that thing you're going to do? Are you going to mm -hmm. agree with me? And no, in, in some cases, the forward party candidate, you would not agree with. I don't think you would agree with, let's say, a forward party candidate that is endorsed in the state of Idaho. That person probably is a Republican, right. fundamentally. But they also want to break the system. They also, you know, there's a lot of things you agree with them on, but they wouldn't necessarily represent you when it comes to policy as much in other ways, but, but that person is there to help you so that eventually you can have that person that represents you possibly sit there if, you know, if they get enough votes, but they would at least be able to. I think that, you know, a lot of people really got excited about movement for people's party and we've seen which way that has, has gone. And so people were really disappointed about what's happening with MPP. And then they hear forward party and they're like, okay, well, maybe this is, this is, the right thing. This is what we should be going after. And then right. they hear these things. They're like, we don't hear policies. Like, like the way you explained it, like it all makes perfect sense now. But I think when Andrew is talking about it, he doesn't explain it that way. And so I think some people are just confused. And some people are like, I hope this is not going to be another MPP where MPP said they were going to get candidates on the ballot. And it's been five years and none of that has happened. Yeah, that's why there's there's got to be work on the messaging with the forward party because it is not a traditional third party in the way you think a third party is. Like I'm I'm a member of the forward party because I believe in I you know, I believe in breaking up the system and trying to get third parties in there because I don't like my choices. I don't like Democrats and Republicans. So I want different choices. So I joined forward party to try to help make effective change so that I can find another party that I feel like I actually identify with and there's actually a shot at that party making it. So that's why with Ford, Ford Party, 
you'll see from time to time on Twitter, you know, maybe Andrew will tweet out something like, you can be a Republican and be a member of the Ford Party. That just confuses people. So there definitely yeah. needs to, but it's true. It's totally true. I understand it, but most people don't understand it. And so there's got to, so that's, I do think there needs to be better messaging with what it is so that people understand don't come here looking for policy. Go to your third party looking for that policy, but come to the forward party to help break your third party in. Got it. Got it. Uh, I want to talk to you about rising. Um, now, I know uh, there was an interview recently with uh, Dr. Fauci. I only saw like part of it because I noticed that you weren't on the interview. And I was like, that's odd. Why is Kim not on this interview? And I said, oh, maybe Kim's just out. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think she would have missed this interview. And then I saw <laughs> your tweet and I was like, aha, I was right. So uh, let's talk about that. I mean, you know, and also how are you feeling now with the way that everything like went down? But could you explain to everyone who may not be aware first, like what happened yeah. with that interview? Yeah. So, you know, I've been on Rising for a year and, um, you know, obviously some of the segments that were some of my most popular were about COVID, the pandemic and my criticisms of that response, criticisms of Fauci. In fact, everybody on this show criticized Fauci. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, that everybody had their own beef with him, like Ryan Grimm, his beef was the lab leak theory. Um, yep. Robbie's beef was the mask mandates. And then my beef was like everything. Right? <laughs> and of course I was the most outspoken and my, my segments on him were, you know, the most viewed. So yeah, when the opportunity to interview Fauci came along, yeah, I wanted to be on that interview. And, um, I made it known to the producers that I wanted to be in that interview. I found out about it Sunday night. So this was, uh, Sunday that the, the the night before the interview was to be on a Monday. So I found out the night before and um, I don't know if I was supposed to find out actually, cause they'd actually booked that interview a couple of weeks in advance and I'd never, and I hadn't heard about it. And then I, and then I saw in, we have a Slack thread and I saw on the Slack thread that Fauci was going to be interviewed. And I said, wait, Fauci's going to, Fauci's on the show. And no one responded to me. <laughs> and then, and then uh, I got a phone call and um, the producers said to me, well, yeah, Fauci's going to be on tomorrow, but you're not in the interview, basically, is what they told me. I mean, they, they just said, we didn't submit for your, when Fauci's team asked, when we submitted for the interview, Fauci's team asked who would be the hosts. We told them Robbie and Batya. Um, and they asked again, and we again told them Robbie and Batya. And they asked again, and we again told them Robbie and Batya. So, um, and basically what I got from that, I, they didn't say it specifically, but I implied that the reason why Fauci's team kept asking over and over is because they wanted to make sure like, now who? Because we know who's on your show. Like, we know that Kim lady's on there. So who's going to be interviewing? And they kept reiterating, not Kim. <laughs> and I said to them, yes, Kim, or nobody. Like, we all should be doing this interview or no one. Um, go back Sorry. to Fauci's team and tell them Kim's in the interview. And if you, if they come back and say, then no, then no go, then fine. We go and we tell the audience what happened. And we, we tell them that a government worker who works for the American people wouldn't face us, that he, he only wants to go on certain media uh, shows and he won't face the American people as he should, as he's made all of these recommendations that have completely changed our lives over the last couple of years. And he won't face the American people. We're going to go and tell everybody that he's a coward, basically. 
Um, and they, and I said, otherwise, look, the audience expects me to be in that interview. And if I'm not in that, they will be, ex they won't trust the show. They, they won't, they'll, they'll be, uh, they'll revolt. They'll just, they'll watch that episode and they'll say, this is crap. You guys are establishment media. They won't yeah. trust you. It'll be no different than CNN and you can't do that. So that conversation was fine. It was a good conversation. They they agreed. They were like, yeah, yeah, no, we understand. I said, yeah, so just go back to Fauci's team and see what they say. And we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. The next morning, um, as I'm getting ready to join the show, I get a phone call again from the executive producer, who was the one that called me the night before. And she just said, you know, hey, we talked about this. I ran this kind of up the chain. We discussed this. And we've decided we're just going to go ahead with the Fauci interview as is. We're not going back to the Fauci team. We're not saying anything to them. And I just said, uh, so you want me to come on and record a couple of segments and then you want me to leave so that you guys can interview Fauci? <laughs> Let me get this straight. Like, that's what you're, that's what you're asking of me. And I've been telling the audience for the last year that I'm not censored, that I'm not no. hindered, that I'm not held back that yes, I joined corporate media after being an independent person on my own channel for a long time. And then I joined corporate media and I promised the audience that I was not being censored, held back or, or you know, any of that that goes on in, in corporate media. How am I supposed to go back to the audience and say, and, and make that claim anymore after this? Like, because you guys won't go and tell Fauci's team that I'm, that I'm a host of this show, bottom line. Right. And, um, uh, you know, I just told them the audience won't trust you. The audience won't trust me. There's no way for me to spin this, you know, to make this sound better than it is. And um, I don't think I can stick around with that. This will be reputation ruining for both of us. And uh, they went ahead. I tried to get them to stop after that conversation. There were still two hours in between that conversation. And when Fauci was to appear, I screamed fire over and over at everybody. Like I was like, guys, guys, stop. Don't do this. Don't do this. Uh, I, I like messaged every producer. I slacked the whole team. I emailed the general manager. I, I mean, yeah. I just went like, try to get them to, to not. And then when they did the interview, I just begged them not to air it. I just said, guys, don't air it. Don't do this to yourselves. Don't do this to me. Just don't do it. Um, because I don't, we can't, I, I can't come back and right. be here a part of this if this goes on because I, I promised my audience that I would not be censored or held back or limited in any way. And this clearly is that. I That is what's happening here. So they made their choice. I just have to say uh, this, uh, it kind of reminded me when uh, Bernie Sanders was going to do an interview on uh, Crystal Kyle and Friends and with the exception that... Uh, Kyle wasn't in it. I told them about that. And I said, this will be the same. Like you cannot, you know, and they were like, well, we didn't know about that. And I was like, yes. You know, like how is Kyle excluded from his own show for an interview with Bernie? You know, that's not worth it. All it's going to do is give you a no. bad reputation. Audiences don't like that. And no. not only that, but you know, Fauci and Bernie, it's not like you're asking, you're getting like someone who never does an interview and they're right. like coming out and they're finally going to talk and, and you're going to be the person they speak to, you know, um, the, you know, this isn't an interview with Julian Assange, for example, like right. this is Fauci's everywhere. He talks to everybody all the time. You know what this guy's going to say. This isn't something this, there's no bombshell here. 
with this guy. And the same thing with Bernie, even like, you yep. know what Bernie's going to say, there's no bombshell. So why, why sacrifice your show's integrity and, and then have people bring it up. Like you just did, like, remember when, you know, <laughs> and that made crystal look bad ultimately in that situation. It's like, why did you go through with that? Why did you guys go through with that request and say, okay, we'll bend and we won't have the other host whose names on the title. I mean, at least with rising, my name's not on the title, but my face was front and center. So it's like, why, but so it's the same, like, why would you exclude a host from their own show? I mean, you just, the audiences will just not trust you after that. They'll just, it'll, even if it's just a little bit that they don't trust you, you can't afford that. Did they not, I mean, did they try to like get you to come back? Like after, I'm just curious because like you had viral videos on rising. Uh, there were conversations and I, um, but the, the damage had been done, unfortunately, at that point, you know, I tried to get them, I tried everything I could in advance to stop that, mm -hmm. to stop the interview from happening without me. Cause I knew the audience would just not take it. And quite honestly, the, before I even said anything about not being with rising anymore or any of that, I didn't say a word. I, I was silent and we watched those comments come in on YouTube you know, in the comment section. And normally they say, like, we're used to like the whole, where's Kim? Kim should mm -hmm. be in on this conversation. Like there's, those are comments that happen in a lot of segments, but this comment section, the, the audience was like, I don't, you, you, that's it. I'm done with you guys. Like, how dare you do this to Kim? How, they all knew what had happened. You know, it didn't take me saying a word about anything for the audience to figure out that I had been eliminate that I had been omitted from that interview that I'd been prevented from being a part of it. And, um, now the audience didn't know why they, they maybe blamed Fauci's team, but even right. then the audience then blamed rising because they felt like even if Fauci's team excluded Kim, you guys shouldn't have done that. You guys should have just had her in there anyway and said, screw you guys, you know, or not done the interview at all. Like the audience already was saying all of that. So yeah, there were some conversations and I just said, look, like, look at the comments. It's already happening you know, there's only a couple ways for me to come back. And that is, we were in talks for me to have my own show. And we actually had worked out the agreement already. Um, the contract was done actually for me to have my own show. And then about a week before this incident, they, um, we had spent months negotiating this contract, by the way, since March and what the week, and it was finished. And the week before the Fauci interview, they suddenly said, well, actually we have to put your new show on hold um, because they hired somebody new who was gonna be coming in and running the place. And they're like, we just wanna get that person acclimated and figure things out. And then we'll, you know, we just need like a few months before we can implement your show. And um, at that point, when this all went down and I went back to them and I said, no, the only way this works is you guys give me my own show now. Because, um, because the, the decision did not come from the higher ups actually, with me not being in that Fauci interview, it actually came from the people running that show specifically. So if I separated from the show, I, I would have I been able to retain, like I wouldn't have been censored or held back or any of that, if that makes sense. Does yeah. that make, yeah. So it wasn't the management or the higher up or the corporate people who actually made the editorial decision. It was actually the executive producers of the show itself that made the editorial decision. And I was saying, I wanna be separated from that 
And then if you give me my own show and part of my deal with my own show was that I was the executive producer of my own show. I would have been the one making the final editorial decisions on my own show. And so that's the way for me to, to stay. Um, so, but they just were not ready to do that. They didn't want to, you know, they, they didn't want to do that. So that was, that was the only way that I could have without totally ruining my, what I felt like would have been reputation ruining after what I'd promised everybody for a year. Well, kudos to you for, you know, speaking up for yourself because most people wouldn't have been brave to do that. Just being honest. Like most people have been like, okay, I'll just sit this one out and then I'll be back with you guys tomorrow. But no, kudos to you for doing that because it's just, you know, it's going to hurt them in the end. I saw the subs are already decreasing. Um, I think it does not send a good message to viewers when we do look on that platform and it just seems like they're going through these like rotating hosts right. where it used to be like more consistent and it just sends a message to the audience that like something is amiss here. Something is just not working out well. It right. seems like they're trying to figure things out, but they haven't figured it out. Yeah, it wasn't, it was, it definitely was an, uh, an inconvenient time for this to happen. Um, my husband and I are actually in escrow on a house and yeah. And, and, uh, on top of, so that's, you know, scary. And on top of it, we actually had just, so even though they pulled back the contract from my own show, they had maintained the financial aspect of it, which would have been like a lot more than I was making double, actually, maybe more than double than what I was making every day on rising. Um, cause I was the lowest paid of the, you know, it's a whole different mm -hmm. situation, a whole different, um, conversation, but they, yeah, I had a, I mean, it was a big contract that I, I would be doing just fine right now. And I wouldn't be stressing out about the fact that we also were an escrow on a house. We would have had the, we would have had what we planned when we went into escrow with the house to um, make sure that we were comfortable, you know, moving <laughs> and taking on a mortgage and all the things that come along with that. So I'm, I'm really grateful. My husband has been fantastic through this process. Like when everything went down that day and that was the day that um, we went into escrow, I was like, uh, you know, so anyway, um, I don't have a job. Uh, and I'm really grateful. He did not freak out at all. He just said, okay, you know, I have faith in you. You'll just go back and do your own channel. You'll be okay. Like it'll all be okay. He just was so calm. I don't know how somebody stays calm <laughs> in that situation when you're like, so yeah, you know, uh, I know we're buying a house and all, but, um, I don't have a job. Well, Again, I commend you for like doing that because it's just, you can't, oh boy, the workers have got to stand up. <laughs> the workers have got to stand up. I've been telling everybody that, but I think that, you know, have you thought about, I know you have your show on YouTube. Is there any other avenues you might be looking at in terms of independent media as well going forward? Yeah. I mean, I've been really lucky that, you know, and, and being on Rising was, was a great thing for me, you know, and, and, um, and I really feel like you know, obviously I got a lot of exposure being there. So I'm totally grateful for the opportunity of been on it for a year. And I was able to say my piece to a larger group of people, which I was really grateful for, you know, being able to say the things that I said, especially during the pandemic. Um, 
even though I'm still being labeled a conspiracy theorist for saying that the vaccine doesn't stop the spread. And I'm like, how am I, how is that? <laughs> like, how, how, somebody explain that to me. Like, how is that a conspiracy theory still? <laughs> but um, yeah, there are, I was very fortunate that shortly after, so I did have those moment of stress, you know, with like, oh my gosh, we're buying a house, a townhouse, we're buying a condo. But I'm like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, we're buying this condo. And on the top of it, we're, you know, I don't have a job. And I was really lucky that shortly, really quickly after when word got out, I did get quite a few, a, a few I would say, entities reaching out and saying, hey, uh, we would like to have you, you know, do a show on our platform or do a show and we'll distribute it or, you know, th those types of conversations um, from companies that are not yet launched, companies that are already launched, but they all would allow, it would be my own independent and even with The Hill, the contract that we had worked out for my own show with The Hill was me having my own independent show that I would basically just distribute to The Hill. So, right. it, you know, I'm very, very protective of my independence um, mm -hmm. and also the editorial control of my show. And that, you know, in, in, I really enjoyed being on Rising. It was a great time, but I had no real editorial control over the show. I controlled my radar completely. That was 100 yeah. percent me but the rest of the show i had no control over and that you know that's like uh it's it's challenging in that situation and I, every host on that show kind of struggles with it because a lot of every host i think feels like i really don't want to talk about this topic i really don't want to talk about this topic. But you have to because there's more than one of you right so everybody gets to pick um mm -hmm. but yeah so any any other thing that i do I, it would definitely be 100 percent my control and I would not have these types of situations happen, hopefully. I mean, I don't know. I didn't think this would happen, honestly. So you can never right. you never know what is going to happen. But yeah, there's other things in the works. So I do believe that I will have my show that I'm currently doing now. It will expand and mm -hmm. in like length, because right now I'm just doing a segment a day on my channel. It'll expand and it will also be distributed differently. That's what I know. I'm. That's what I know, because as long as one of these works out. <laughs> But who knows? Anything could happen. That's awesome. Um, do you think that you would get on call-in? I don't know. Have you listened to call-in yet? So I have the app, right? And I don't know how to use it because what I'd want to do, maybe you could teach me because you know what you're doing more than I do. Can you link it into your show when you're streaming like this? So that can you like the audio or do you have to be on the app? So Eric, my producer in the background, he actually did that. He used to do that for me. He was he he was able to find a way to connect both. Um, but then when Colin started giving uh, those of us at RBN like a, a contract with them, in the contract it said that we could only do it on Colin. So oh. that's, that's why I don't do that dual. I used to do a simulcast and that's why I don't do that anymore because they want it to only be on call in. But Eric, I can link you up with Eric and he can yeah. explain like how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I, so I wouldn't do. Yeah. So that, because if I do a call in show, not call in, but call in, you know, you get it. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, so if I do a call in show using call in, um, I would definitely want it to be on my show. I wouldn't want to do a separate yep. show. Yeah. But yeah. I have been trying to figure out a way because, you know, I used to do radio for years. You know, I was a radio yep. talk show host for over 10 years and my radio shows were call in radio talk shows. So I miss it. You know, I'm, I'm like and that was my that was my thing. My my you know, that was what I was, I think, best at. And so I'm wanting to get back to taking calls, talking to people, 
um, and, and doing that, but I would need to figure out a way to set that up. Mine is like, I mean, I might, cause we are getting our own place. So I'll be able to maybe install like a landline and maybe have mm-hmm. actual, you know, an, an 800 number or something and have mm-hmm. people actually just call. It's, it's fun because <laughs> you, you finally get to hear from, like, I get to hear what people sound like and not just see them in the chat. Right. So it's, it's kind of fun with that. But, uh, but yeah, I think it, I think it's growing. I think, uh, more people are starting to, to download that app. That was the thing in the beginning. Some people didn't want to download another app, right. but I think more people are going over towards it now. Yeah. I can understand, you know, if your favorite person is over there and you have a chance to maybe talk to him, that is fun. So I can understand mm-hmm. the, the, um, the attraction for sure, but I'd want to do it on a wider space than just in Colin. Mm-hmm. So I would maybe do like an 800 number and people would just call me, I guess. Maybe I'll do it that way. But I have been trying to figure out a way to go back to, I've been thinking about this for a couple of years. I've been wanting to go back to radio. I even told, you know, some of the radio guys that I used to be with, like, maybe I'll come back and do a radio show. And they're like, you don't want to do that. You're fine where you're good where you are. And I'm like, man, eh, but I miss it. <laughs> well, did you know, um, Jamal Thomas is doing uh, a radio show with Sputnik. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. talked to Jamal about that. Yeah. Yeah, they, you know, they always sometimes will ask me if I want to come and do a radio show over there on Sputnik, which would be fun. But right now, you know, it's tricky going over to the, you know, to like the Russians, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I shared it. I shared it on uh, Twitter and it, people were telling me, they were like, when we click on this, it says this is Russian affiliated information. I'm like, we were yeah. talking about Joe Biden. Yeah, like, right. I mean, knows. I, I, you know, I personally, I, I'm really, I'm not like a lot of media we get has funding from the government of whatever that media company comes from. I don't mm-hmm. know why we're so, you know, we're not at war with Russia. We have to remember that we are not at war with Russia. So it makes no sense. I mean, we're in a proxy war, but we're, we're in proxy wars all the time, but we're not actually in war at, at a war with Russia. So why would they label anything that has Russian funding as like, oh, this is Russian media? Y- yeah, of course. You know, down the street from my mom's house, there's a mall. That mall is actually owned by the Vietnamese communist government. But they don't put a sign out front saying like you enter in here and, you know, it's the communists that you're going to be giving money to. And don't, you know, and the propaganda that's coming from these communists, like when I turn on BBC, I don't get a flashing warning. Like the Brits, you know, the Brits are coming, the British are coming, you know? So why do we do that to a country that we're not even at war with? And then, you know, and one of the reasons why the Vietnamese like um, country has this mall is to service the Vietnamese expats that are living in the United States. They, they still have an affinity, a community, a bond, and they want to service that group, right? So the same thing with like the Russians, like why can't they have Russian anything and say, well, we've got Russians living all around the world and we want to give them, you know, some piece of Russia. Like that to me sounds fair. I don't understand why we then have to. And then, you know, so then Sputnik Mm -hmm. and RT and all that, they get this bad, you know, people then, you know, they're like, ah, get away. Like you used to work for RT or Sputnik. Oh no. And it's like, give me a break. I mean, there used to be a rotating door between like HuffPost and RT all the time. It was just like a normal thing. And now it's, um, you're, you know, a pariah of some kind. It just, I, I'm really totally against that. I have nothing against, I mean, I, I think RT made excellent, excellent programming. So and it's I a have, shame, you know, I know they lost so many great voices over there. Yeah. 
so many people. Um, I have one more uh, question for you. Uh, last year, or actually I think it was a couple months ago, um, I remember Rising um, actually received one of those warnings from YouTube. I mean, it's been happening to a lot of people. Um, and it wasn't even because something that was said on Rising. It was because a video that was played and it was Trump making a speech. I remember that happening. Right. Yeah. And you can't, when you guys came back, I remember you said that you were talking about like your journey in independent media. And there was something that you said that I thought was really important for people to hear. You were saying how like when you started in the beginning, you had like a ring light and you had your, your little camera and that's how you started. And you said, and you did it on your own. And I just want you to know, I haven't said this to you, but I just want you to know, like hearing that from you was very inspiring because like for a while I thought I was on my own, like I was alone in this, like feeling like I, I'm doing this all on my own. But when I heard you say that, I realized like, okay, I'm not the only one who kind of, I really did not have like a circle of, of, I guess I really wasn't connected to a group per se, like yeah. in this space. And so I just jumped in and just kind of took my hand at it. And then um, RBN contacted me and they said, would you like to join like our network? And I joined with them and I still kept my show. And I, I just want to let you know, like, thank you so much for saying that because you made me realize that, you know, not everybody has that. And when you do it on your own, you still can make it on your own. So thank yeah. you so much. Well, if you saw my setup now, it's not much different. <laughs> I'm still, <laughs> I'm still very, I'm still in a bedroom and I still have just like the light and the camera, you know, I use a Canon and I just got it connected to my laptop and I have a very, um, it, it's an unimpressive setup totally. And it's very inexpensive and, um, yeah, but, but doing it, I, that's how I started. I did it on my own. I just, and I still do it largely. Um, now I do have a part-time producer that helps me with some graphics and stuff, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun time. It's a great journey, right? I mean, and you're doing great. So I think, you know, you're getting all these big interviews with, you know, I saw Chris Hedges and all the, you know, you're getting, you talk to a lot of really cool people. And I, I mean, I think I love what you're doing. I think you're doing a great job. So you're not alone anymore, right? I'm not, I'm not. Thank you so much. But uh, what advice would you give to people who are thinking about getting into independent media today? Um, I, I give the same advice I, I would give anybody that was trying to get into radio. So back when I was doing my radio show and I'd have interns and others that always wanted to know, Cam, how did you, you know, what's the advice that you would give? And my advice is the same advice for both. And that is be yourself, whatever you do, be yourself. Because that's what audiences are. And then you just, you don't know what an audience is going to like. You don't know if you're going to hit. No. You don't know if you're going to miss. You don't know. You have to put yourself out there. You have to be brave. Put yourself out there. But don't try to be anybody else. Just be you. Don't try to mimic anybody else. Just go out there and be you and, you know, see what happens. Awesome. Kim, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Where can people find you on social media? Um, well, I have my Twitter. I hate Twitter, but I'm there at Kim Iverson show. I hate that place. Don't go there. Just go to my YouTube instead. <laughs> Watch my segments. Don't go to my Twitter account. If you go to my Twitter, you won't like me. I mean, that, I don't know because some people like people like me. Um, I'm better when I'm talking. I'm not so good when I'm typing. Even my friends, my producers, my family, they try to avoid texting me because they say that my texts come out mean. You know, I sound like <laughs> Like I just fire stuff off and they're like, oh, is she mad or is she? Uh? 
whatever. Just go to YouTube, find me there, find me, you know, on, I'm on Rockfin, Rumble, YouTube, Locals, like that's where. <laughs> Don't go to my Twitter. Awesome. Kim, thank you so much. Talk to you later. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can watch the video of this podcast at Sabby Sab's channel on YouTube.